Hey everyone, welcome to the Season 3 Behind the Curtain episode. Well, we made it. Over a year of recording and releasing, over the course of the next hour, hour and a half, two hours, however long we go, we're going to talk a bit about the season, we're going to talk about the character journeys, we're going to talk about our favorite moments, and we're going to answer a lot of listener questions. We have some amazing questions that the cast has not heard, they will be hearing for the first time, nobody is prepared, so I'm very excited to get going on this. I'm so nervous about these questions we've not been prepped for. Don't be. There's only one that involves math. That's the one I'm comfortable with. (laughs) I want to start by talking about this season. For me, this was a very personal season. It was, and I've mentioned this, I think, other places on Twitter, maybe on some mid-rolls and some other places, that this season was very much the culmination of essentially 20 years of playing Dungeons & Dragons, maybe more. For those of you who don't know, Roxiel Darkfeather was my childhood D&D character. What? Once she reached a certain age, she essentially retired and married another PC in the campaign, Starge. And this world that we've all created has kind of been built upon the ashes of a campaign I ran when I was a kid, and one my brother ran in which I was a player character, which is where Roxio came from, which is where Starge came from. I wanted to sort of pay homage to that world that we created together and also kind of explore the end of what their story would be. I spun this tale forward about what life was like for the two of them. The world that we set up wasn't this world. There were a lot of things that were different and a lot of things that changed in the translation. But doing this season gave me a a chance to essentially say goodbye to this character and say goodbye to this world. So it meant a lot to me. I had the idea for this campaign, for this particular season, before we started any of this. I started plotting out season three before we had even started season one. I didn't even know what season two was going to be, and I already had this in mind. I knew that we had to do a lot of things to get to this point. We had to do a lot of introducing the characters, introducing the world, lay some backstory, and start foreshadowing certain things that would end up paying off in season three. So Roxiel and Starge start appearing in season one, And you get little hints and little echoes in the lore of the world. And then moving on into season two, they become a little bit more prominent, a little bit more prevalent, especially Starge. The party starts encountering some of his works, some of his really horrible deeds. And then that brings us into season three, in which Starge becomes the big bad. It's it's really hard to put into words just how much it meant to me to play through this season And to reach the end of it and to have those two moments of the party confronting Starge and beating him. And then that final scene of saying goodbye to Roxiel. So I don't know the extent to which any of that came through, but I just want to take this chance to thank sort of all of you for kind of going on this journey with me and sort of indulging me in this storyline, which I hope everyone enjoyed and I hope that the fans enjoyed and I hope that 
I just hope that it, it worked for everybody. I mean, I didn't know. I mean, it everything that you said definitely came through. It came through for me. All you would say, Diana, was this is this season is very, very important to me. Like I've put so much work into it. I, you know, I, I cherish it. And I knew, I knew that, but I didn't know it to this extent. And I, I'm glad that I didn't know, but also, <laughs> I mean, damn, now I feel like, I don't want to say that I did like a, a shit job voicing her, but <laughs> I, now I feel like I did a shit job. <laughs> She's this really important person to you. And now I'm like, derp, derp. <laughs> I feel like it should have been someone don't, else. Don't do that. Don't say <laughs> oh that. You did a fantastic God. job and I wouldn't have asked you to oh do it. Oh my God. Had I not known, you wouldn't have done her justice. Oh um, and God. also knowing that I could not do her justice in my head. I couldn't give her the voice she needed. For me as a dungeon master, and I'm just going to pause right here and say, I'm going to apologize for my voice. I've been sick the last two days, so my voice is very froggy. Uh, so I apologize for that. I have my tea, but we're going to, you know, the show must go on. That was part of my journey as sort of a, a DM slash producer, I guess. Because it's one thing if you're not doing this for a podcast. If we were just playing, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But it was learning what my limitations were in terms of doing voice work. And knowing that, you know, I have all these talented people around me. They can do this so much better than I can. Even if it may, creates more work for me on the back end, it's worth it when everyone hears the final product. And so, no, Rachel, you, you did her justice. Well, I am fucking honored to be here and to have been a part of this this uh just this journey as a whole but specifically in this sort of coming a full circle for you that's so cool yeah, that's cool <laughs> i had no idea that's awesome damn specifically also going through um and matt you did know about this the other thing that inspired this season was that my favorite permutation of Dungeons and Dragons ever is Ravenloft. Hell yeah. And this was very much my chance to do Ravenloft. Yep. So I treated the Shrouded Isle as a plane a demi plane of Ravenloft. And if you're familiar at all with the rules of Ravenloft, you have the mists surrounding the demi plane, you have the lord that rules the land who had gets special powers, who has control over the land. And this was my chance to do Ravenloft. I think I even, like, messed up one time and, and referred to Starge as Strahd. Yes. You did. And you guys you were like, much what? Did. <laughs> you very much did. God, yeah. And the other was... thing that you, you noticed is that, um, and we'll get into this later as we get into more kind of the episodes of the season. The map I used for Castle Starge was Strahd's castle from Ravenloft. Yeah. Really? Yes. Like straight up, just straight up. I I changed some of it around a little bit. I'm googling it now. <laughs> I repurposed the the rooms are a little different, but if you were to actually look at the map, it is Strahd's castle from Ravenloft. So, uh, what loot is in Strahd's castle? <laughs> I honestly, the loot in Strahd's castle is there's a sunblade. Yeah. Ooh. There's well, you know what it was is when we went um down into the catacombs. And uh, I was like, this sounds familiar. Like, it just seems too, like, and you were describing the rooms and, like, the individual, like, you know, 
And I was like, this, this, where have I seen this before? And literally, I actually, before I told you, I went and I Googled a map of Castle Ravenloft and probably for like half the episode, just kind of followed along on the map and where I thought we were. And I followed along and as he would describe things and I was like, yep. Yep. <laughs> I was like, there's, so she's going to say that there's a door to the left and a way forward and one's locked. And sure enough, it was, it was so yep. cool, though. And it, for those of you who <laughs> wish to follow at home, uh, Ames had posted, well, or follow here, Ames has posted. Is that the actual map Like that I oh find the right one? Oh, my goodness. Yep, that is it. Wow. That is it. This is fabulous. Here, I'm trying to draw the thing out. <laughs> I could have just Googled it. Jesus. You could have, but you did a great job at, like... Like sketching it out on random pieces of scrap paper and on the backs of envelopes, whatever happens to be sitting around my desk. I want to compare your drawing to the official one now. Oh, I got to find it. If I didn't, it's buried or potentially recycled, unlikely, but potentially. So if you were to look at the actual map, though, and and this will get into uh, this more accurately addresses Adam's question about loot. uh, You very thoroughly explored the lowermost level a little bit. The main level, and then going up from there, you explored very little. I think we were in a hurry at that point. We're like, we spent four episodes looking around the dungeon. <laughs> like, this guy's gonna just get bored and leave. This is true. Why don't they do all maps like for, this? Fun for us to play is not necessarily fun to listen to, which is something else I'm sure I'm going to come back to in this little thing, but I will table that for now. We'll get into more of this later. Uh, I don't want to necessarily go episode by episode. But I, I want to jump back to the beginning of the season, because this season began way back in Tyr. I don't even know if you guys remember that, but the first two episodes took place in Tyr, where we met Silway's family, and we were introduced to the heart of Tyr, and sort of the, I, I guess you could say the the MacGuffin, or the main floozle, or whatever the <laughs> thing all of this hinges upon. Uh, the wards surrounding the heart of Tyr. One of the things in the in the second episode, Amanda, at the very end of it, Silway has a meeting with her mother. Yes. And I think when you when we were going to do that scene, like we were going to play it, not like we you know rehearsed it or did anything else like that. It was very much improv RP, and you were like, "I want to go say goodbye." I don't think any of us had any idea where that scene was going to go. No idea. I was like, this could be, this could end in hugs and tears, or it could go badly. I have no idea what's going to happen. Like, I just need to know exactly, I need to know Silway's motivation for entering that room in the first place, and I'll go from there. Improv. Okay, so in the end of it, which was kind of a surprise to me, um, Silway is disowned. Yep. How do you feel about that? And this, this actually comes sort of full circle, because Silway revisits this in the last episode, in an amazing conversation with Rotan. How do you feel about that? And how do you feel about Silway's journey from essentially being disowned and tossed out of her family to perhaps finally really finding a new one? I like that development. I I was surprised when you went there, and I was glad you did. Um, Because it gave her... I don't want to say it. I was going to say give her a foundation, but no, it, it took away her foundation and gave me something to work with for the rest of the season about like Silway is a bit adrift. She doesn't know what she's doing. And that kind of manifested in her chaotic magic and um, unpredictability, let's call it. 
So I, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a good, a good character move. And I do like how it came full circle at the end um, with that Denouement conversation where she's like, oh, no, like they can't just take my name away. That's mine. Yeah, I thought it was a really powerful. I thought it was a really powerful scene between Rotan and Silway. And we'll get back to this because uh, also in that episode, there was this great conversation between Winley and Rotan. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I want to talk about, but we'll we'll get there. <laughs> There's too many conversations between Winley and Rotan. <laughs> yes, but this one was a, a special one. So um, once we leave Tyr, we move north to Greymoor, and Desmond and Winley join the party. Rachel, you had you are the newest to D anD. d You hadn't really started playing before starting to play with us, and you, we had played. We did some test runs. To make sure I wasn't a complete... <laughs> We've played some test runs, and there were some side characters that you played with Matt that actually um, showed up in the first anniversary episode. How do you feel, having played a full season of Winley and having gone through a, a long campaign, you know, 26 episodes and God knows how many hours of, of this journey... Well, I, one, feel very lucky to have been asked to join this great group of people. Um, I mean, I've learned a lot <laughs> as being a newcomer to D&D uh, and, and like really late in the game because I never played as a kid or a teenager or anything like that. I mean, there's an immense amount of freedom that D&D gives you, except for all of the rules <laughs> that you have to follow. <laughs> I mean, it's I kind of get to live out my uh, my own fantasies that I've had as a kid, you know, like playing fantasy like things from my imagination. So that's been great. And I'm, you know, a fan of fantasy, sci fi, horror, all of that. So that's this. It's been a a freeing and sort of therapeutic experience for me uh, and my inner child. Well, I mean, I am a child, to be honest. But, but yeah, that's been great. And obviously, it's a learning curve. With so there are so many things to learn in this game, and you guys have been so helpful and patient, patient, patient with me, and I appreciate it. But as far as what it's like to play Winley, I mean. <laughs> Winley is <laughs> she I mean I I will say obviously I I did craft her a lot after me as a person as when people see me in person I I think I I come across as uh, more naive and innocent than I am and I think that, that that's how I tried to craft her as being warm and and bubbly and and nurturing which she is which she very much is and which I like to think that I am but on on the other hand when you get to know her you realize she's just multifaceted she has a lot of uh she's different than I think she comes across and I think that's one exciting to to explore for me as an actor but just exciting for everyone else to get to know like when I tried to put that Kraken's brain on fire I feel like you really met Winley when that happened you know I feel like you were like oh oh so this is who she is and I love doing that I love doing that as a human being I like to shock people you know yeah yeah actually yeah 
I do. I like to shock people and I like to surprise people. And I think Winley's just a spontaneous person. And I think when you can start picking someone's moves or, or, or whatever, that's when it becomes boring. And I hate boring. Leveraging off that, I'm going to get to our first two listener questions. And I'm combining them because they kind of go together. And this is for all of you. And the first is from Lazarus. What is it about your characters prompted you to choose the voice you did for them? Mm. Mine's easy. I can go okay, for Okay, so we'll start with you, Matt, since you have the answer on the tip of your tongue. So right around the time when we were, um, Diana asked me to be a part of this and, you know, I was coming up with a character, uh, I had just seen an, an amazing production of The Tempest. And, I mean, for those <laughs> Shakespeare fans out there, it's... It shouldn't come as too much of a surprise when I say that Desmond is heavily based on the character of Prospero in The Tempest. <laughs> we, we, we're not shy about dropping Tempest references throughout the course of the year. <laughs> yeah. And the actor that played Prospero in this production of The Tempest, uh, I basically just modeled Desmond after him. Because he had a very, you know, he was very English and had a very, like, uh, awesome accent and... and um, yeah, so that's that's where my my guy's voice comes from. And then Matt actually just answered the second question I have. So mm. w- now, when you think about it, answer both of them. Uh, Brandonk13 asks, what are the in-real-life influences for your characters? Boom. Which Matt just answered. I could talk about Silway's voice. Looks like no one else is champing the bit here. If you've listened since the, the first season, you might have noticed that Silway acquired an accent about halfway through. <laughs> Because uh, that's about when it took. That's about how long it took me to decide that that's the accent I wanted to use. Diana and I had talked before about like, would she have an accent? She does not speak common natively. She speaks Tyrion natively. Maybe she has an accent. I think like, that, that makes sense. Um, but I just couldn't decide what kind of accent, and somehow I drifted towards this like Russian sort of sounding vaguely. And I based that off of a uh, a former coworker of mine who is who is Ukrainian and speaks with a pretty heavy Ukrainian accent, and so a lot of um, a lot of the words Silway uses, especially when she says "mist" and she says "mist," that's that's based off um, that woman that I used to know. Story wise, it kind of worked its way in with Silway basically pretending to be Mara, and Mara, anytime she slips into that mode, does not have an accent. Exactly. Yeah. Like so, that's how I played it there is okay so she was forcing herself into a common accent until she got more comfortable with her friends and was like whatever i'll just speak with the way i speak i think you've talked a little bit about this before amanda in terms of silway and her origins Mm -hmm. but do you want to talk are there any like real life sort of influences or anything that i mean she has a long history maybe not as long as roxiel but yeah she's pretty close she has a long history um I could go into her entire Lotto history, but it's probably not the best. Um, but the short version is, yeah, she's based on me. She was my avatar in Lord of the Rings Online. And in that version of her, she was very, you know, sh- shadowy, mysterious assassin type because I was the, you know, withdrawn, um, angry sort of person back then. Though in, in Lotro, she was much older. She was. She was about 30 years older uh, in Lotro. And she had spent most of her life sort of just getting more and more bitter <laughs> But yeah, that's that's one reason I, I decided to play her is I wanted to kind of go fix that character because I did a lot of work in my personal life 
uh, to set myself on a new path. And I kind of wanted to do the same for the character who was representative of me. So I feel like I've done that pretty pretty well. Yeah, it's funny because we, we actually also wrote, I think I mentioned this before, that Amanda and I had wrote a, pretty much a novel <laughs> pretty much. about young, young Silway before she leaves Tyr. And then there was this gap between Lotro and, although it wasn't Tyr and... Anyway, we won't go yeah, into so it. So originally it was, how does Silway get to that point that she was in Elotro? And then I decided, no, I, want, I don't want her to get to that point. I want her to get to, to, get to a better point. See, I don't, I don't know how, what, how clear that was during the tear scenes. Is those characters, Soldal and Silway's mother, um, Archie, a few others, I think, uh, were all characters from that, that novel, essentially, that we wrote uh, collaboratively back in the day. Um, Mike? Yeah, uh, I'm not going to follow that with anything of substance. Um, <laughs> Mist, I knew from the get-go, was going to be impulsive. I've got the barest of backstory for him, as has come up many times. And that just that's just to help me be impulsive and be him, play him as he needs to be played at the moment. And so I wanted a voice that I could just slip into. And slipping into a higher voice is just something I've done with, like, it's something that goes back to reading stories and having to do voices for characters and stuff like that. Um is always like that's a voice that was just like a go-to voice and so i wanted something that i could just go to quickly uh whenever i needed to slip into mist and so that's that's where the voice came from um if i want to really delve into it it delves back to my dad trying to do voices well he, he would do, he wasn't trying he would do voices for like storybook characters and stuff like that so I, so like i i started mimicking voices by following that and so that's just one that i can slip into and so that's became mist his personality is, I mean, he's a cat. Uh, I, I do pull, I, I do pull a lot of inspiration from my own cat. Uh, well, the the older, I guess, it, of, of my two cats now, because he's he came to us when he was. Uh, we got him when he was about eight, almost turning nine, and he was very much like, I mean, cat, adult cat in new circumstances. He was very standoffish, very just like, I don't know what any of this is. I'm not even sure I want to be a part of this. And he's very much a cat who, what he wants, he knows what he wants. And that's pretty much his focus until he gets it. He shows affection, but it's in his own way. And I mean, we know he 100% trusts us. Um, That doesn't mean that he's not going to protest if something happens that he doesn't like. He doesn't like being picked up. But he knows that, like, oh, the human will put me down eventually. So he just kind of suffers with it. And I, I feel like a lot of that is, is there in Mist. Like, he, he gets annoyed with people doing stuff around him that he thinks is counterproductive and stupid. But, like, well, these are my people. And I'm not going to abandon them or, you know, intentionally inflict damage on them. So, yeah, I mean, that's doesn't have nearly the substance that, that Ames had. So he's, he's a cat. And it's an easy voice for me. Although, <laughs> I'd like to think that there's more voices that I have. Uh, well, we know there's more voices that you have. We know there's at least have. one. We, uh, <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's several that you've well, okay, demonstrated. Yeah. There's one from the mid-roll last week, which was very good. If you, And then there's, um, there's Gollum, who oh, pops yeah. up every so oh, often. Oh, right, 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 yeah. Uh, so, Adam, what about Rotan? What about Rotan? Well, so so I guess the voice first. The voice kind of comes from from two different places, um, and I think the the first place is uh, convenience. 
<laughs> so, I mean, Diana <laughs> and I have, have talked a lot about this, about our love of Monty Python. Um, mm-hmm. I watched Monty Python a lot growing up, like the enti- like all four seasons of Flying Circus. It, it was very formative in sort of my establishment of what my sense of humor was. Uh, that sort of dry, but also like incongruous sort of uh, sort of humor, and um, that combined with <laughs> a lot of masterpiece theater that my family watched mm. when I was younger. Um, I just find that that various different kinds of British accents are more easy to slip into than other kinds of accents, and so when I was picking out an accent that I wanted to do, like, from the very get-go. I wanted it something that would be easy to slip into, um, and and I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, drifting from one accent into another, which, like, anybody who's DM'd or, or you know, tried an accent that they've never, you know, <laughs> really used that much before, it's, it's very easy to, you know, slowly drift into something else, something that's more familiar. And, um, yes, and so, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and so so that was part of the reason for the choice. The other part of the reason was I think it fit the the kind of character archetype I was envisioning for Rotan, which was this heroic, well-meaning, if not necessarily good in action uh, type character. This almost send up of, of a typical paladin, if you will. That, that was kind of the vision from the get-go. Uh, and because of the way a lot of these uh, kinds of characters are voiced or played in media, uh, doing a very, very pompous-sounding British accent seemed like a, like a good fit for, for that, kind of, uh, that kind of a character. And, uh, and I do think, like, I try and slip in little satirical elements of that into, uh, into Rotan's personality. Uh, in terms of, like... Gosh, formative uh, things that like helped me figure out who the character was. I'd have to say uh, Mad Mordigan from Willow. Heavy, heavy influence there. Um, if if any of you have ever seen that film, thinks he's the greatest mm-hmm. fighter there ever was, and <laughs> maybe is not in practice, but gets into all kinds of hijinks. So, so he was an influence. There's actually this really charming low-budget series called Journey Quest, which, if you're not put off by like low budgets, it's extremely charming. Everyone in it is great. Highly recommend. There's a character in that who's definitely more on the crazy end uh, <laughs> from where Rotan is, um, called Glorian, and just has some of the best dialogue in the whole thing. And uh, let's see. Three Musketeers, the mm-hmm. the 1993 Disney version, which I think mm-hmm. is highly underrated <laughs> um, because it is full of anachronisms. But the anachronisms are what make it so good. I mean, there, there are just so many biting, fabulous, witty lines in that. Like, Rochefort, isn't that a smelly sort of cheese? You know, <laughs> just, just these fabulous, you know, uh, sort of lines. Um, that that kind of swashbuckling aspect of that, uh, I think, also played a role. There's some other influences, but I'd say say those are the big ones. Mm-hmm. Rachel, you talked a bit about who Winley is. What about the voice? Like, where did the voice come from for you? I think 
it's a bit similar with Adam that um, a British accent, I know there's a lot of different kinds, um, but a, like a more of a Julie Andrews for me, I've been doing that for a really long time since I was a kid and I was a big Julie Andrews fan. I wrote her a 10-page fan letter in fourth grade inviting her to my talent show. <laughs> And she sent back an autograph. I did. I did. She sent back such a beautiful little note with an autograph in it. So a part of Winley, I I tried to, like the warmth of Julie Andrews, you know, it's like a warm cup of tea with like some half and half and some like sugar. I tried to give a little bit of that. Um, And also, I I think, like I was saying before, I was trying for her to come across as as that warm sort of person um but my my other influences were a bit of tinkerbell with her getting really huffed and puffed and red-faced very quickly and and her temper um a little bit of princess alonwi from like yo okay the black cauldron is one of my favorite freaking movies love okay? the black cauldron it's right and as a kid that scared the shit <laughs> out of me the horn king i mean i had nightmares for but I kept watching it because I love being scared. I've never not loved being terrified. <laughs> it's kind of sad, but whatever. And the other is Chucky, 100%. I love Chucky. I've, I, I, I love Chucky so much. I saw the movie way, way, way too young. Way, way, way too young. So I think Chucky's been a part of me for most of my life. I don't know. I, I hope that... Chucky came across in Winley. I really do. The spontaneity and just the absolute chaos, um, especially with the acid. Like I was like, and and ending up collecting like vintage torture devices. Small, right? Because Winley's small. But I, I hope that, that that came across. It wasn't specifically addressed to me, but I mean, like Adam, I'll say 90% of my voices come from Monty Python. They're just basically doing Monty Python characters in some way, shape, or form, you know, or bad impressions or reskinned Simpsons characters, which is, um, Trevor is straight up squeaky voice teen. Dorothea from this season was me doing a bad Mrs. Doubtfire impression. What about Shadow, um, Shadow Realm Dan? Shadow Realm Dan yeah. is... That's what we all want to know. I'll, I'll be honest, Shadow Realm Dan, I think, was a workshopped voice amongst the group of us. <laughs> yeah. I think Adam did that voice first, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, that one sort of evolved. Oh. oh, God. Yeah, I think that Shadow Realm Dan was lightning. <laughs> yeah, he, he really was. I mean, it kind of came out, which he's kind of vaguely Matthew McConaughey from Days oh. Confused. <laughs> I do think it's worth mentioning, There there was a little bit of confusion that, like, I, I think there we took so naturally the Shadow Realm Dan that I had a couple of people ask me like, "Who are you guys referencing for this?" Oh. <laughs> and, and like, it it just like completely impro- improvised. Like it came out of the blue, and we just ran with it. We we love to hate this character so much. Wait, I mean, <laughs> so much disdain from every single person in the party <laughs> like, too. Spontaneous, so spontaneous <laughs> hatred. <laughs> really quite staggering actually he inspired hate poetry on my part <laughs> let me just go to this question since it is kind of so Treva asked this question who was your favorite NPC of the season to either encounter or to play I'm gonna t- go first I did like Shadow Realm Dan he was a lot God. of fun but 
And in this one is kind of a I don't know, is it an NPC? Is it not? My favorite NPC of the season was Anka. Anka yeah. is the most badass Dungeons and Dragons character I have ever encountered in my entire life. Well, you made her that way. <laughs> you made you made her really OP, <laughs> and I, I think that was like the point. And it, she definitely wasn't supposed to stick around as long as she did, but she just wound up being a lot of fun and hanging out. She was too cool not to. <laughs> yeah, she I don't know cool. what it was about her dice rolls specifically because i never roll like that with a character like when i was guesting on chasm quest my character rolled so poorly that we had to build in a backstory reason for why she was so shit like (laughs) just atrocious (laughs) so it was just a combination of diana making a character who could do way too much amazing stuff and then my dice being like no you have all of this we're using it yeah, I think we, at one point, we got talking about it. Because, like, during the editing process, I'm like, Anka doesn't miss. Like, she just doesn't miss a role. <laughs> and then I think I brought it up, and um, Cassie, you said, no, you did miss once, but that was in a shadow fight against yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that seems appropriate for Anka. She was an amazing character that you did amazing things with. Whether she was built overpowered or not, she was everything that I hoped her to be and wanted her to be, and you brought her to life in such an amazing way. Like, Cassie, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart Mm. for, for breathing life into that character and sort of just taking her on the journey and, and also spending (laughs) half a season with us, if not more. There was a moment in the finale episode. When Anka is talking to Akrataki, and Akrataki is spouting off at his nonsense, and he offhandedly makes a comment about fighting you, the laugh that you give him is so beautiful <laughs> and so wonderful, and so you're just so present in that moment that it just gives me chills every time I listen to it. I just half wish that he'd been kind of serious because. Anko is at such a point in that moment where she probably just would have lit him on fire or just dropped him into the shadow realms completely and just left him there. (laughs) Something about Akrataki, and I think it's because uh, you kind of designed him to be very Trumpian, especially there. It's not out yet, but you guys will hear eventually. Like, my God. But he just gets under my skin. (laughs) under Cassie's skin in a way that I'm like, I have to remember that I'm playing a character. <laughs> Don't lose your shit. <laughs> the two play so well off one another that, yes, um, spoiler alert, preview, sneak preview for season four. They're both around in episode one of season four. And there are some fireworks. And I want to also extend a special thank you to Ariel Ortiz, who does the voice of Akrataki. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whatever I do in my temp track... He takes it up 12 notches when he records him for real. Like, the voice, the spin, the attitude, the strutting, the, like... Again, it's bringing him to life in a way that I just couldn't do on my own. And and he just does a tremendous job. And I, I thank him for taking the time to, to record that because he brings that character to life. So that's my answer for the NPC question. What about the rest of you? 
I'll go really quick um, because I think mine's really, really obvious. It's going to be Gruber and Cashew. Not to open a scary moment of uh, when the whole Gruber thing happened and nobody knew but little old me. Um, I don't know if that's later something you'd like to talk about. But it's Gruber and Cashew because they're the best. And uh, that's where I stand on that. I do want to get into that, but let's let's go through the rest of this. For me, it's it's definitely just Gruber. Um. <laughs> it's Cashew, Adam. <laughs> you love him too. <laughs> <laughs> I just kidding. Sure. So, anyone no. else have a favorite NPC of the? I love all the NPCs. I just love some of them more than others. I have a couple honorable mentions. First of all, I miss Pika. He had like two lines the entire time, <laughs> oh, yes, but he will be missed. Well, chunky salsa rule—that's what happens. <laughs> also, both Soldal and Dorothea um, um, had a way of pulling Silway out and getting her to emote and interact, which is always wonderful to interact with. But if I had to choose one, I'm going to go with Captain Finnegan. Oh yeah, I, those oh, those episodes oh, were a blast. No oh, my water God. on of the course. Boat. That was this season, wasn't it? Oh yeah. my God. Yes, wow. that's how long this season was. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, that was so long ago. Yeah, Finnegan oh, I love Captain great. Finnegan. So, uh, special thank you to Dave Cole. Yes, who gave life to Captain Finnegan. <laughs> I. Um, I, I, I have the been... rules on the boat. If, guy, if we ever do merch, we need to have the rules <laughs> as some sort of it. thing. That's a shirt. Yes, it's a shirt. Yeah. Oh my no god. Water. I I have to say I've been I've been uh, slowly catching up on four orbs, and I am at a point in the show where. It's like it's like I'm getting to relive Captain Finnegan all over again, and it makes me so happy. Like, like oh, so much stuff is making a lot of sense now. I would give up everything that Rotan owns just so Rotan could be there to see Captain Finnegan sail through his first rainstorm. <laughs> I, I would love to see that. I think that would be great. All all of that water on the deck. <laughs> It was like, don't throw things. It was like, don't we, throw we, things. Don't talk about the crack. Don't bring water on the boat. Yeah, don't bring water on the boat. Yeah, <laughs> the don't throw things has been a running gag now, and will continue to be, I think, every time we throw something. Oh, I, I mean, Desmond, over the course in the course of like two minutes, <laughs> broke like every single right rule on the boat. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Finnegan, man. Oh, he was so good. He was so good. So, and you know what? He may come back. You never know. Jeremy. Will he bring Jeremy? Oh, that, that's a question for him and him alone. The DM sounds very doubtful. <laughs> All of these have been Trevor's questions, so I'm just kind of going through the list. Thanks, Trevor. Thank you. And this is, I think, a quick answer because uh, we want to put everyone's fears to rest. But you did mention Cashew. And um, I'll just read this question verbatim. Uh, what is the rabies vaccination status of the goddamn raccoon? <laughs> Pit orchestra and stage crew are mad worried. Uh, never fear. Um, Cashew is vaccinated. What? And he is not a danger to what? anyone. Oh. Adam. It's a good question. Adam, don't get upset that Cashew freaking matters, okay? I'm just going to say how magic that's happened. Magic. I mean, isn't. Isn't prevent disease a spell? Exactly. Well, cure disease is. Or, cure disease. Yeah. 
is Cashew a paladin and immune to disease? Could be. Oh, Could very that well be. be. That would be the nail in the coffin. <laughs> I think there's a monk that does that too. Some flavor of monk becomes... If Cashew is a paladin. I'm not sure if I like oh, raccoon monk or raccoon paladin more. Those both sound amazing. Raccoon monk. Like, they've got the little hands. So, they do. like, doing the open fist stuff is no problem. Unarmed combat is raccoon specialty. <laughs> While we're talking about Cashew and... Let's talk about one of the bombshells of the season, and that is Winley revealing her relationship with Gruber. Oh, yes. I completely Which, blindsided all of us. for the record... <laughs> yes. Everybody's well, including me. This was not something that <laughs> Rachel and I had talked about before that moment. Rachel threw it out there, and I'm like, yes, and... And we, <laughs> off we went. Now, for the record, there is a scene that was cut from early in the season in which Winley and Gruber have a conversation. I think it's still on Finnegan's ship. And they, they bond. It's either that or it's in the hotel room um, once they make landfall at Kent. On the ship, I think it was the, the talking donkey that got cut. Yeah. So it might have been the hotel room. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the talking donkey. I wish I hadn't cut that now. It was The episode was going long, but it was I should have kept it. It was awesome. That was a good voice. Concord's still around, <laughs> yes. though. We'll, we'll talk is. to him again. Got any more jerky? <laughs> that's right. That's what was his voice. Any meat? Got any meat? <laughs> Forgot about that. How about some nuts? So, Rachel, what was it that, I, I guess, not why did you make that choice, but what was it that prompted you to kind of go in that direction? Or what What did you feel? Or what did Winley feel? I I hate to be, like, disappointing, but I just acted on impulse in the very moment that I felt like it could be a cool choice. It, it came, like, it came to me, and I said it in that second. <laughs> I didn't, I don't know if it sounded planned. It did, I, it was not. I was like, mm, this could be fun, and I just did it. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, like, uh, feeding into my uh, acting training Act on impulse and just go with it and really hope for the best. And I really did just hope for the best, and I hoped that everybody wouldn't uh, thoroughly dislike me. Don't question true love, Diana. When you know, you know. <laughs> it's interesting because it's it's funny because it, it Gruber was always – he was straight-up comic relief, right? He was – and this was kind of the, the – with Trevor, too, back in season two – before the party size grew, it was kind of a chance to, for me to have a voice in the party and play off you a little bit. Once the party size got bigger, there wasn't really the room for me to do that anymore or the necessity or anything like that. So I took a step back and just focused on DMing or whatever. And there wasn't the, the sort of room for Gruber to just play sort of second banana to Rotan. It's interesting, like, and Adam, I'm curious your thoughts of this and kind of what we'll see going forward. Do you think it changes the relationship between Gruber and Rotan? Oh, definitely. I don't think he's realized it yet. But yeah, no, it definitely changes that dynamic going forward. Because very much, like, it, it was very much Don Quixote, Sancho Panza. I mean, that was not to, you know, hit the nail on the head, but I mean... That's pretty much the nail right there. That was the relationship. And yeah, it's interesting to see how it's going to change. It is. I don't know. No, I, I don't either. And, and it's not like Gruber's going to get 
I don't think Gruber's going to change. He's not going to get smarter. He's not going to get <laughs> oh. less immune. You know what I'm saying? It's just, but I, I think it's weird because for a character who's kind of was just sort of like a one-dimensional, one-joke character, he now has this depth and complexity of like, how does he balance the, like the two big loves in his life? Because make no mistake, he very much loves Rotan, you know, and he loves Wenli. And it's like, how does he balance these two things? And how does he say goodbye to them when y'all need to go off adventuring and he's in the past just, you know, hanging out with the animals? It's it's just, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. I really thought after I had, I don't know, sort of like... <laughs> blurted out that that they were together I was I really thought it was going to be something that was cut I didn't expect I thought it would just be like (laughs) oh haha this is so funny just cut this part out and then I don't know I wasn't confident I mean I was confident enough to act in the moment but then when I finished I was like oh I don't think this like I don't know I really like I'm glad you guys went along with it. I mean, this is Gruber is a character that's been important with you guys for a long time, and I, it was never my intention to like hijack him and then take sort of ownership over him. So I would like to say thank you for for going with it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I was a little skeptical at first, but like. <laughs> From what I've seen in season four, like the love triangle between those three is my favorite drama so far. It's, it's amazing to watch Rotan and Winley like fight over him. I, I will say like it was so sudden and out of the blue. Uh, like my first thought was, okay, this is like because Winley, Gr- Rotan was already grading at Winley, I think. Up to that point. And, and so my initial thought was, oh, Winley's messing with Rotan even more. And my next thought was, oh, but this kind of works. <laughs> and uh, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about where it's headed. I have no idea where it is. It feels like a train that is out of control. <laughs> yeah. Uh, heading towards a very steep bend, but uh, I'm very excited to see what happens with that. To be fair, that's that could describe this podcast in general, but like... <laughs> a train out of control? <laughs> DM insights. Yes. Well, I, I've got a whole bunch of other listener questions, but mm-hmm. I have a question for you, Matt, about Desmond. I found over the course of the season for a character who doesn't have any memory whatsoever, <laughs> it felt that Desmond kind of became the moral center of the party. Throughout the season, there are there are scene after scene after scene of various characters talking with him. Because let's be honest, a lot of these characters are very, they're crazy, they're out there, you know, they're going to do their own thing, you know. As Mike said, Mist is impulsive. You know, we know Silway's impulsive. We know Rotan's impulsive. Winley's impulsive. And then there's Desmond, <laughs> who is like this center. How did you feel about Desmond's journey in terms of coming from really this island and not having human contact to being thrown into this crazy adventure with all these weird people? And how do you think he's feeling after, yeah. after the events on the island? Desmond... <sighs> It's interesting because I kind of went in not really knowing how I was going to play him. I had an idea, but like, but he's, he's essentially like a little, a little bit of a blank slate. 
because he doesn't know what his past was. And so I think becoming the moral center was was interesting, like a little bit of the rock that people could kind of that was that was, I didn't expect that. But basically my how I played him is is his mission is that he just wants to find out what happened to him. He wants to find out who he is. He wants to find like his mission is just to go and learn and discover and be curious. And so when this opportunity came to link up with the party, he was like, this is a great way to go with people who are on this quest, this adventure and and through them experience gain more experiences and hopefully find some pieces of this puzzle that is his past. And and I didn't necessarily go in with this intention, but the way that I ended, like, I really, really felt like I discovered Desmond as I went along and his personality. Like, I don't think I really found Desmond until maybe like, maybe like six or seven episodes in. Do you think there was a moment like where you, you felt like this was it, this, this was... That, that was it something that happened? Was it a specific scene or a specific moment where you're like, okay, this is I've got him. You know what? You know what comes to mind is there was a moment when it was Mist and uh, Tingles were having that argument, and where Tingles eventually left. They you were arguing. Mist was arguing with I think it was Silway or someone over it was like Roton. a. Roton. Silway had wandered away. It was Roton. And you guys were arguing, I think it was like over a ballista or something like that. And during that whole argument, I was just kind of like, what's Desmond doing? You know, like, what does he feel about this? What's his say? You know, and eventually, Diana, you came to me and you're like, what's Desmond doing during all of this? I don't know if you remember this. I do. And then literally, I it was just like, Desmond is just watching a frog hop by. <laughs> 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 it's just like, it's like, oh, that's that's interesting. Hey, yes. <laughs> I think that's so good. I think that was one oh. of those moments that was just like, that's Desmond. He's he's so unbothered by most things. He's just happy to be there, man. Like he's just he's he's just he doesn't he doesn't really he's just he doesn't really have. I mean, there's something in him that is tied to this moral like goodness. Like he's not evil by nature but he's not he's just kind of ultimately unbothered by a lot of things and i think that is what makes him the more the uh, unintended moral center of the of the party i think there's just something that kind of happened and and from that moment on is kind of how i played him was just like i'm i'm here and i care about these people and whatever it takes to kind of keep going with this i'm going to i'm going to do that and try to not be bothered by most things because I'm just kind of happy to be here and I'm happy to be on this journey and happy that people have accepted me and happy that I'm kind of continuing on in this quest to find who I am. So I don't know. And, and ultimately, the, he became this whimsical kind of carefree dude, you know? Speaking of moral centers and confidants, over the course of this podcast, Rotan, for being as sort of bombastic and occasionally not terribly bright and impulsive person. There's a depth to Rotan that I think we've seen even starting back in season one, when, when his feelings were genuinely hurt. What, what did the mist accuse him of lying or something like that? And he was genuinely hurt or, or mist did something. We were to manipulating him. him. 
You're manipulating him. That well, was it. Oh, oh, I was thinking of I was thinking of the invest when the uh, uh, pl- uh, inspector or whatever the heck his name was in um, Nightfall. Nightfall outright like called him a moron, and and Rotan was like, he thinks I'm a moron. Like that, the way you played that, Adam's like, oh, Rotan has a little bit of self awareness. Like he, I, I like I just remember that line read very very clearly. So I, I think that that's always something that struck me is that, that there's this depth to him. And, like, we really saw that in this season at various times. Like, I'm specifically thinking of the the finale episode in which both Winley and Rotan have a heart-to-heart and where Winley is, wants to talk with Silway, but Silway's not there, so she has to talk to Rotan. And it turns out that Rotan is the right person to talk to. And then later on, Silway finds Rotan. And Rotan, once again, is, is the right person to talk to. That, that there is this sort of depth, whether it's intentional or not. I'm just always impressed when it comes out. And I always enjoy when it comes out. I think when I was first formulating in my mind what the character would be, I didn't want him to be to come off as a very bright character, but I also didn't want him to just be stupid. And so the way I've been trying to play it is is that, you know, he lived a fairly pampered life for a lot of his life and arguably still is kind of pampered in some ways. And and I think, you know, he's he's the sort of person that can think at length about a lot of different things he just doesn't normally bother doing it so so sort of kind of that aspect so like he 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 has a lot of like general knowledge it's just sort of like not systematic at all it's just whatever he's read and what he's read he hasn't necessarily like taken the time to actually think about oh that's why those things are connected you know i think he's a very casual thinker but i also think you know there's this element of his character that's like, this guy's evil, let's take him out. You know, cut, cut the crap, let's do it. There's a lot to be said for simple truths at times, and I think Rotan is very much a simple truth kind of person, which I think actually is what you need sometimes when, you know, you're going through rough patches. And speaking of simple truths and, and conversations, like I was impressed. I'm always impressed. Like one of my favorite things about the show, about all of you, is really just the sort of character work that you all do and, and the interest you have in one another. There, there are just moments like, you know, even when I think of the entire last episode, is is nothing but character moments. Like there, I mean, arguably there may be a few plot developments or clarifications <laughs> in it, but for the most part, it is literally just dealing with the aftermath and character moments that you all wanted to have. And I think about other moments throughout the season, like in the the bowels of Castle Starge when Silway is cursed, and after you end up going down the chute into the water, and Silway is essentially sitting there pouting or depressed to me it was a very beautiful scene when like the group of you were sitting around Silway trying to cheer her up trying to bring her out of her whatever she was in and and I think we found this wonderful connection between Winley and Silway at times throughout the season 
both in their their sort of shared darkness, but also in their fact that they maybe don't want to be totally dark. Let me ask you, Amanda, how did you feel about when Silway was cursed? I enjoyed that time. (laughs) I know it pissed off some party members and maybe some players at the time. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh. But yeah, like, I think when you explained it to me, like, she's cursed in so that during combat, she has to roll, you know, saves to take an action. And I was like, no, I'm going to take this and run it towards depression because that's a theme that I'm very familiar with and I want to explore. So I just made Silway kind of cursed in a depressed way. And that was really fun to play. I slipped so easily into it and it led to some very humorous moments, um, some very infuriating moments. Uh, and just, it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. If I could say like, like as an external observer, it also felt like a very natural step for Silway's character, given what had happened in the earlier part of the season too. Yeah. Like that, mm. that like, those three episodes in tier defined Silway's course for the rest of the season. Like they were kind of, I guess, prelude episodes, we can think of them in the big picture. But like, for me, those were the defining moments for, for Silway as a character. Um, and so that's why, like I said before, she was very rash and more prone to chaos magic during the season is because of all that. And then depression, yeah, fell right into that as well. That, like this curse, like just triggered like the natural emotions she was probably already feeling and uh, refusing to acknowledge. One of the things that I found interesting, and this wasn't really intentional. Well, okay, maybe it was partially intentional. I had hoped that this season would feel very, like, I was very much going for gothic horror, right? You know, I wanted all those elements of the undead and witches and darkness and, you know, the, the basically the audio soundtrack of the entire s- season is crows and ravens and wolves and, like, the wind. And, and Adam did this amazing organ score of our theme, and, and it just was, like, really riding this sort of, like, dark gothic vibe. One of the fears I had was, as much as I love and enjoy the humor and the jokes and everything, like, my whole philosophy is I want the emotional beats to land. I want there to be sort of emotional truth with the story. And I want, you know, character growth, and I want... But I want those big character moments, you know, those big dramatic moments to land. I really wanted it to feel like something dark and oppressive where you hadn't seen the sun in weeks on end and that you were stuck in this kind of twilight thing. And I didn't really know if that was going to come across and I didn't know how you were going to react to it or if it was just going to be something that wasn't a factor at all. And then we went into the shadow realm and I don't know what it was about the shadow realm. It was only what, two episodes, two recording sessions, but Something happened in the Shadow Realm. And this was almost an out-of-character thing. You all kind of started to get annoyed at one another. And that there were, like, little things that happened sort of out-of-character and with the vibe. And that kind of went into the, the basement of Castle Starge. And it, I think, peaked in the first fight with the Skeletons and the Shadow Demon, which was in the Lantern, when Silway turned on her wild magic. And it was like all of this grind that you've been going through for days and days and days, 
like has worn you guys down a bit and you you were starting to like and I I cut out some of it cuz but you guys were kind of like snapping at each other a little bit and as the dm sort of slash producer slash director i'm kind of sitting back going this is great <laughs> but you know <laughs> at the same time i know it's not but at the same time you know hey end result this is this is going to make for some good podcast <laughs> i want to know how you guys were feeling through there i'm pretty sure i know how you were feeling mike would you like to talk about how you were feeling see here's the thing I remember I was grumpy, and I don't 100% remember why, because this was well after the Tingles thing, which, did, as, a, as a player, did annoy me, and well before Silway's curse, which, again, as a player, did annoy me. So I don't remember why. I, I remember that I was in a mood. I don't remember what brought that on. If it, I mean, I know when we were in the Shadow Realm, there was a constant stay on the track like there was there was just that tension i i really don't know where where that headspace was like i'm trying to think why was it in that headspace i have no freaking clue i i think i, I have, do not remember if i remember our conversations correctly i think part of it was it was that sort of that kind of meta gamer tactical mind that you have was because you were worried about spell slot conservation and oh, right, right. After you were we, like, burned, we burned three spell slots getting out of a goddamn <laughs> elevator. Yes. Okay, I'm back to Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, glorious. It's, it's, it, was a, it was a matter of, we, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, I, 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 rem, I remember. <laughs> I remember. And I don't know that it's, that it's metagaming to know how my class works. Like, to know that mist has a fixed number of spells and to be worried about how often and how many of them i'm going to get to use before we have a break when we rarely take the proverbial short rest which is actually like mechanically my class you know, warlock is built on being able to rest after a fight and we have over the course of three seasons rarely done that so as a result, it's sort of like, well, I spent my two spells, and now I'm just going to sit back and Eldritch Blast, Eldritch Blast, Eldritch Blast, because that's all I have left, because we haven't had a chance to take even a short rest. And now we're in, like, the final dungeon. Well, I mean, okay, that's the player perspective. But even from a character perspective, we're in, like, super dangerous circumstances. We need to be cautious and there wasn't a lot of that it didn't it didn't seem like there was a lot of that going around <laughs> i am yeah. constantly amused by that that you, like you described mist earlier as being impulsive but he is in fact sometimes the least impulsive of the entire party there's a difference i mean watch if you if you don't have cats <laughs> if then 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 let me sh shine a little light on their behavior for they will decide they're going to do a thing be very methodical about how they go about accomplishing the thing that they want to do. Hence, what we finally termed as butt-wiggling later on. I think those two things can go hand in hand. Maybe fickle might be a better word, that he can suddenly decide something matters to him, but then all of his focus and attention becomes making that thing happen in the way that he wants it to happen. That's my, de that's my defense. 
I mean, I don't think you have to make a defense. I think one of the things that's great about it is the fact that Mist, kind of more than anyone, is always keeping his eye on the bigger picture. This is true. And that actually is what prompted Mist to go off and pick that fight with the room full of skeletons on his own, is to... It was both an in-character and out-of-character full choice to show, let me demonstrate spell slot efficiency. Mm -hmm. Ten kills, one spell. Yeah. And it was how many rounds of combat? One spell slot. Let's get back to our listener questions. Okay, this question is from Fire Guy. Hey, Fire Guy. <laughs> hey. And um, I'm going to just read this verbatim. Oh, God. <laughs> That's how you know it's good. That's I know this guy know. a little too well. This is going <laughs> to... And this is a question for you, Mike. Uh-oh. Okay, time for weird questions. <laughs> After talking with fellow cat owners, they say you grease up your cat to help with hairballs. So, I'm wondering <laughs> if Mist has to, had to grease himself up to deal with hairballs. <laughs> what? what the happened here? I've been greasing my cat the past few weeks, too. I have never heard of this. Never in my life heard of, have I heard of, of greasing a cat. I, this is totally novel to me. Is this a thing? Is this really a Let thing? Let me describe my cat greasing process. <laughs> He has hairballs. Lunch Lady Doris, have you gotten any grease? Okay, sorry, go ahead. Do you is feed there... a deep dish pizza? Is that what you do? Is there like a wiki how page on how to grease your oh, cat? <laughs> Am I missing something? Google it. I, right I have now. a product. Beat safe search, otherwise you're going to have some interesting, and you're going to get furries. Um, ooh, ooh. Nothing, no. wrong with, nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying. Yeah. You're no, going to no, get no, greased up in here. cat folk. No, so, no, uh, yes, Amanda, you're cat greasing process go he pukes too much i have a product called cat lax which is basically it looks like a tube full of molasses but to get them to eat this stuff you basically just spread it on their paw and it irritates them they're like stupid paw stuff and they lick it up and that's the uh, administration method mine doesn't do that very well he tends to squirm and then so the the stuff gets on his side and yeah <laughs> So flings he, it everywhere. Yeah, so he gets he gets greasy, paw. and then he cleans himself up. And this makes him puke less. So, <laughs> there's some ingredients in the the cat wax that dissolves hairballs, or who knows what it's doing in there. Wow, wow. that's cool. all right. Cool. I haven't heard as heard of that as greasing a cat. I have like I'm picturing <laughs> greasing a cat like like Fonzie like like. My partner and I have literally been saying, "Have you greased Morbo yet today?" I, I'm I'm picturing it like like hair product oh. for the cat. Yes, yeah, same. Like, you have to pay extra if you want to see us grease a cat on camera. So that's the, yes. Patreon. That's yeah. the next Patreon. That, for, uh -huh. that's, 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 that's multi-class theater after dark. For the next uh, three minutes, you will listen to the sound of a cat oh, being greased. None of that actually answered the question. Um, you know, how does Mist handle the hairballs? Very well, thank you. All seriousness, like I would assume that Tabashi don't clean themselves like cats do. I would assume that they bathe, probably. Sure, like they, right? Like that's that's the thing. It's like he's he's a he's a, and I have, I have joke, you know, we jokingly refer to him as a cat. He's a cat person, like a cat folk. As Rotan is fond of saying, he's a cat person. I think he's more likely to use a brush. I'm gonna say that Mist brushes himself. He's not afraid of brushes, and that keeps the hairballs down. I bet that feels great. While we're on a roll, uh, let's ask another fan question. This is from Trava, and this is for all of you. 
If your character were any rock, mineral, metal, or shell, <laughs> what would they be and why? <laughs> this is a hard question. I'm going to have to think about it. Uh, it's probably I'm a harder question for you it. and Mike than it is for others. <laughs> yeah, this but... is very easy for Desmond. He's just some kind of a cool-looking shell, like a clam yeah, shell. Yeah, I was going to say, like a conch shell? Or... Yeah, like a conch. I think I know what Silway is. I'm going to say she's sand, because she's coarse and rough and irritating and gets <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I think nice. Winley would be, I mean, obviously from her past, she would be some sort of gemstone. I'm going to have to think about which one. Uh, Roton is Icelandic spar. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask you why, because... Oh, no. No, don't don't bother. It's, it's obvious. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> if you know, you know. The geologists will know. Well, because he's pretty to look at, but you look closer and there's you get a double image and uh, there's more depth to him than, than initially meets the eye. Oh, there we go. And because uh, in a future episode, he's going to die horribly in a vat of acid, and that'll be the end of his character arc. (laughs) Whitley's vat of acid. You you heard it here first, folks. I mean... If Winley is not supplying the acid, that would be so fucking rude. That would be fuck. If you got your, if you had an acid supplier somewhere else, I'd fuck you up. Winley would go and seek revenge. Oh yeah, on whoever made the vat of acid. <laughs> Resurrect Rotan just so she can melt him down again. Oh. What about Mist? Oh boy, um, I think Mist is a heteromorphic ammonite. Because you look at sometimes you look at him and he's like, "What the hell is this thing doing?" But it all works out in the end. Except it didn't for the Ammonites. Well, yeah, but like as a spe- they, but but you, you say that you say that because a space rock fell out of the sky and killed all of them. You I mean, you know. Also, spoilers for next season. I... <laughs> mist Mist dies horribly in an asteroid strike. Or, or <laughs> to be okay. fair. A space rock started this whole thing. So This is true. This is true. Alternatively, another option would be on the on the slim chance that on the slim chance that my friend is listening, Labradorite or mm. Moonstone. <gasps> That's a good one. Because it is a there's a, it uh, almost Ooh, looks magical. It's pretty. Uh it, it is very iridescent, very colorful, kind of dark. So it kind of has a darkness to it. Um also being tied to the Fae as he is. I feel like the moon is he's not it's not a night elf, but like he's there's a there's a certain it appeals to sort of the the, the nocturnal crepuscularness of his of, of feline being. Plus Tiger's eye is just so on the nose. Um I like it. <laughs> at at a first glance he's just a freaking feldspar, but Yeah. Yeah. Look closer. I have mine. Oh, I think, okay. yeah. Really, just, just, just quickly. I think Winley is a uh, bloodstone, Ooh. and I say this one to sort of pay homage to you know she has an emerald eye, and she really, really loves green. But also the flicks of red in bloodstone kind of give her away, like the internal fire that is within Winley. But it kind of also represents like courage and and winley is nothing but not if not loyal i think to to the people that she loves i don't know i think i think she would be be a bloodstone excellent bring on the next one well the next one is a sort of more broad question Mm -hmm. i've been doing a lot of talking and asking of questions and we have many more 
listener questions to go. But do you all have any questions? Do you have any thoughts? Do you have any favorite moments of the season or episodes or lines or like what stood out for you on this journey? I think we all have just one question. And that is what the heck was going on with the spider playing the organ? Yes, what? thank you. <laughs> what was that oh, yeah. all about? Yeah. Oh my god. Was that also in Castle Strahd? <sighs> um okay, <laughs> so in in Castle Ravenloft, yes, that room is in Castle Ravenloft. Really? Yes. If you open the door, it is an illusion of Strahd playing the organ. And he basically talks to you and the whole adventure is a lot more intimate and player focused. It's it's Dracula. I mean, it's it's Dracula, right? So mm. that's what is in the the module. But I was like I need to put a spin on this, so I'm like, okay, well, you met that mechanical spider earlier in the season, so what if I bring the spider back and make the spider the organist? Who knew he was so talented? <laughs> it's a natural. You could have interacted with the spider. Really? You could have had a full-on conversation with the spider. Oh, really? wow. Yes. Would it have been like talking with that beholder last season? Uh, no, it probably wouldn't have been that crazy, like... <laughs> No, the spider I don't think was insane. It kind of looked insane. The spider could have uh, given you information. Oh, interesting. I will say this about the castle. Once you went into the castle, there was no plan anymore. Like, it was a full-on dungeon crawl. You guys were completely in control where you went, what you did. It was all on your shoulders. There were paths that you could have taken. There were other things that would have happened had you gone one way versus another way. And so there was kind of a lot of stuff that you missed or avoided by going the route you did. Hmm. Yeah, I'm staring at this map now and realizing there's like six floors we just didn't bother to explore. That's because once we got to a certain point, uh, we got the air quotes chancellor to give us the direct route to uh, Starge, which is brings up one of my questions. Missed. It, it, I mean, in, in very Rotan fashion, Mist told Rotan that the go word is Roxiel. And Mist mentions her name when when speaking with the, again, air quotes, Chancellor. So Rotan goes, well, that's the go word. And is about <laughs> to sm And given who we now know was the <laughs> Chancellor, what would have mm. happened had Mist not intervened? Had, had Rotan been a lot more... Had, had Adam decided to play it as Rotan attacks him as opposed to Rotan reaches for his hammer, giving us an opportunity to inter interject and, and stop him. It was a very near thing. I rolled a d20 on it. Whether you were going to just do yeah. it or whether you're going to give us warning. I was right on the edge. I, I did not know which way to go with that. So... It's an interesting question. I don't know if I exactly have an answer because it's one of those things I would have had to play in the moment. I don't think he would have revealed himself at that point. I think you were more valuable to him alive than you would be dead. Like, why fight a battle when you can have someone fight it for you? So Rotan smashing him with the hammers would not have killed him? Oh, no, he not have hit. <laughs> I mean, like... He's level 20. But, like... He right. No, but I'm just, I'm just saying is, like... 
I'm just saying is like level twenty. You get the frail old chancellor and smack him with a hammer, and he doesn't go down. Like that starts tip us off. That could have been one of the possible outcomes. True. Like I, I kind of maybe mentioned this at the time. I thought Amanda figured it out. Silway was very suspicious. The way Silway kept going back at him, <laughs> and the way that conversation was going, I thought Amanda figured it out. Amanda did not. I was as surprised as anybody. I was just playing Silway as, oh, this guy is an ancient, and he's saying things that are anti-tier, essentially. Um, and she was getting irritated. And I feel vindicated now, because in that in that conversation, like everyone else in the party was like, Silway, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Ah, don't pay attention to her. And it turns out she was right to get suspicious and challenge this guy. And he, he was not disguised, right? I'm trying to remember, I guess my... I'm a little he was fuzzy. not. He was not disguised. So we all know what he looks like now. Yes, you all know what he looks like. Oh, yeah, and I guess I slapped him, so... You did <laughs> slap him, and you did do damage to him. I did. <laughs> not the most, because Mist did well, hit him with an Eldritch Bolt. Yeah. <laughs> that conversation was fun. I really enjoyed it. I love those. I enjoy, Amanda, I enjoy any conversation in which I can push you. Yes. Like, with an NPC, and I think that's when, like, Silway comes to life, when she's pushed. Yeah, she really does. The, and and you've, you've played with me long enough, you know that, like, if you push my characters, they'll they'll push back, and they'll be revealing a lot about themselves. Yeah, and that's why Suldal's very effective, and Dorothea was. And um, Celine. And Celine, and... Um, I, I have two questions for you, Diana. Yes. One is, was there anything that we did as a party... That was just completely and totally unexpected. Like the like, what was the craziest thing that we did that you just didn't didn't even imagine that we could possibly do? And two, was there anything major that we missed, like massively huge that we just didn't go to, or like didn't explore, or didn't, uh, or just like? I'm gonna take the second part first. Yeah. There was a lot more to the Tingle storyline. Oh. Essentially, the way it's set up, if you remember in the little opening scene that we did, at the end of that scene, Tingle says, have I got a deal for you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, essentially, Tingle's was playing both sides. He sort of sold you out in a way, or had the potential to sell you out. I knew but it. Also, but mm. also had the potential, like, again, he's playing both sides. Had you taken a certain path up through the castle and gone onto the rooftops. If you remember, specifically, the Chancellor tells you, do not go onto the rooftops. Had you gone out onto the rooftops, you would have been ambushed by a number of things that would have attempted to take from each of you your most prized possession. Hmm. Not my dagger. Interesting. My eye. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My Gruber. <laughs> My Gruber. Or specifically, the thing that makes you most powerful. So in My the case eye. of Mist, it would have gone after the green staff. For Rotan, it would have gone after Truth. For Silway, yes, it would have gone after your dagger. For Desmond, it would have gone after your staff. Like, it would have tried to remove, to try to weaken you before the final confrontation. Mm. And had you then gone up into... Starge's chamber, all of your weapons would have been lying there. So the Chancellor warned us against doing this. Yes, the Chancellor did. But the Chancellor also agreed with Tingles to set up that trap? I'm not sure how I... I'm not missing the two sides thing here. Well, okay, so Tingles was playing three sides, because the Tingles was... Tingles was basically just... Well, Tingles is only out for himself. 
because he's basically lying to the Chancellor in the beginning and then disappears when he gets up to, to meet Lord Starge. And then Starge throws Endu out a window and Tingles is still there. So Tingles is like, uh-oh, I better try to strike a deal with Starge. So he tries to do that. Oh, uh, okay. The deals with Starge. Tingles is constantly playing the odds and trying to also sow chaos because he is a true agent of chaos. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing you missed. As for your first question about, is there anything that you did that was like, I think after playing with this group <laughs> for, you know, two seasons now, I'm pretty much prepared for anything. Yeah. We've trained challenge you. Accepted. <laughs> challenge yeah. accepted. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. <laughs> if I wasn't before, like, missed stealing the ring from the head of the Thieves Guild... Even though it was in a bonus episode, Cassie basically and Lucas completely <laughs> derailing a one shot one minute into the one shot. <laughs> I, I'm I've been broken of pre planning too much. <laughs> I think the one major curveball that and it wasn't even a curveball, but it was something that was completely unexpected and also turned into one of the best moments of the season was Desmond making that role. Mm. Oh, to help Silway? Oh, yeah. To oh, cure Silway? Yes. yes. Oh, my yeah. God. That was huge. Mm -hmm. that, was... that was wild. Yes. I couldn't believe it when I saw those dice. I was like, what? Amazing. Amazing. That's one of those moments where it's like, fuck yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. Like, it's just, that's what it's about. Yeah. It was such a wonderful moment, like, to begin the episode that way and, like, even missed, like, stopping Silway and saying, are you okay? And just, like, all of, it, that was just a great scene to, to go into the final fight. I was kind of pulling a little bit, like, I was thinking a little bit, a, a lot, during that scene, I was thinking a lot of um, the end of, of Serenity. Mm. Yeah. Like, are you here? Yeah, exactly, and and I and I think Mist said that as much said that literally. I think I think I, I think I used the exact words. Yeah, and she's like, "Where else would I be?" Next question, because I have one for you. Hit me. How bad would that shadow dinosaur have fucked us up? Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, yes. Oh, that little guy. It's a trap. I mean, I don't know how bad would it have on its own. You probably could have taken it, it but... Friends. What was it pointing at? That's my, that's my real question. It was... Had you followed the dinosaur over the the thing, you would have come to a clearing in the rocks. In the center of the clearing, you would have seen a skeleton cradling a backpack. The dinosaur would have gone up to the backpack and called you to the backpack. Had you approached, it was straight-up Jurassic Park. <laughs> at that point it grows mm. to a real clever girl real, yep. okay. clever girl exactly oh, okay. that's what was going to happen mm. so many more tiny dinosaurs or one big dinosaur two more velociraptor sized dinosaurs would have hit you from either side okay as well as the third that was right in front of you mm. is that what would have happened if we just strayed off the path in general in the shadow realm like if we had not stayed the path like they told us to do i think that's a more complex question not not that you would have gotten ambushed by dinosaurs the longer you stayed in the Shadow Realm, the greater the chance, and, and by I mean longer, I mean like if you had been there weeks and weeks and weeks, you would start to lose yourselves mm. and and kind of lose your sense of purpose and, and things like that. So it's it was very much kind of the rules of the Fae kind of thing, you know, where it's like, don't eat anything, don't drink anything, beware the beguiling spirits. 
there was a chance had you gone into the castle or had you done other things that you could have gotten lost. Mm. One or more of you, Silway. What? 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 I, all I wanted was a rock. I wanted to, you know, pick up a rock. Silway likes the Shadow Realm. What can I say? I, I liked... And, and this is where... It's what you guys bring to it. Like, you guys bought into that. And you guys made that real. That don't touch anything. Stay on the path. That that fear of leaving the path. You, you, you made the stakes real. Whether there were repercussions or there weren't. There were, but, you know, like... A lot of the way I DM is I don't prepare, like, I, I don't have an Abed binder full of every possible encounter or interaction. It's a lot of it is like, if you're going to do this, then I'm going to do this. And it's it's almost not into, until the moment that it happens that I'm like, okay, well, this happens. That's cool. Yeah. I remember when we were in the Shadow Realm, like, everyone was getting irritated because Silway kept trying to wander off. But, like, I think. Her doing that is what brought that tension and, and made us talk about, no, don't leave the path, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I like, I like her as that, in that role in the party of like, you know, challenging people or being the chaos agent. Speaking of, of, uh, shadow realm, Diana, I, I remember when, uh, we, we were midway and we took a break and you said, okay, now when you guys come back, I want you to tell me what you look like, like who, who are you? In the shadow realm, what does everybody see? Did everything line up, in your opinion, with how each of us would act, be, and look in the shadow realm? In a word, no. <laughs> because who no. would anticipate a swirling rainbow raccoon imp? kind of saw that coming, actually. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the most predictable thing of this whole... No, I think it's, I think Mist and Rotom are very predictable yeah. in how they see themselves. Silway a little more so, I think. Also, you know, the fact that she sees herself as this... She doesn't know who she is. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I really, like... Because I don't know your characters as well. Both Winley and Desmond were a little bit more of a wild card. And I loved what both of you did with Desmond being the shifting missing pieces. Yeah thing and like honestly that's kind of become one of my favorite mechanics of the shadow realm i think it's a great character mechanic yeah it's really fun like so i will say one other thing kind of related to something you had asked matt and it's about the biggest surprise or the biggest curveball and this is kind of a more macro answer than a micro answer but it, it actually sort of it all came to fruition this season when we were creating this world in the beginning, and Amanda and I talked a lot about this. The original intention was to have no gods at all. Like, the idea was that this would be this land where you didn't have gods and you didn't have factional fighting amongst the gods or extra planar beings. It was very much you had this... Everything was sort of more like sorcerer-based magic, where magic was natural, and maybe you had order on magic on one side and you had chaos magic on one side... And everything was just a, you know, sort of variation or permutation of these two extremes of natural magic. That was the conception. Enter the player characters. <laughs> and it was like, one after another, it was like, oh, well, I'm going to play, you know, I'm going to play a paladin with a goddess. I'm going to play a warlock with a patron. I'm going to play a cleric with a goddess. 
And it was like one after another after another, all of these now extraplanar beings came into the fold. And so my response to that was like, okay, well, we have to do something with this now. So extraplanar beings are real. And what are they doing? What's their angle? What's going on? And, you know, yada, 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 Council of Five Shadows, and the end of the season. To be fair to you, Diana, when I first pitched my paladin concept, you were very receptive to it. Which, I mean, maybe because he's coming from a different continent, right? But That was my original thought with it, was that, yeah. okay, you're, you're coming from without and bringing your gods with you. Yeah. So it was like this American gods kind of idea of, like, you bringing these gods to this new, this continent. But it was just sort of like, you know, but that's what makes this great is, is just running with those yeah, that's where Silway's and Rotan's faith conversations keep coming from, because she very much is still that old school, the original design of there are no gods. But I don't know who Timora is, but she's not a god, you know, but then clearly, clearly she is out there being real. So let's get back to the listener questions. Let me go to another Caffeine Now question. Oh, actually, this is the first Caffeine Now question. They're basically the same person. They will appreciate that. Yes, <laughs> yes, they will. They, they, they specifically said that they... um. They compared notes so that they did not ask the same question. <laughs> so, this is for all of you. What was everyone's favorite new spell, feat, or ability that you picked over the course of the season? Hmm. Oh, Shadow of Moyle. I, I think they picked that one up this season. Um, I I love that. I love that a lot. I basically respect this season. I don't know if anyone listening caught up on that, but Silway is now an arcane trickster <laughs> instead of a... Uh... A rogue inquisitive <laughs> because mm. the original sneak about design that i had didn't work well in a group and she's clearly you know an arcane rogue anyways so i guess i could name that but if it has to be specifically a spell feeder ability um part of that respec was i picked up um eldritch adept to get detect magic at will which I think is just a really fun. Such an, I know it pisses Diana off, but it's it's so fun to be it's like broken. It's such a broken mechanic. I see magic everywhere, <laughs> along with the s stupid passive perception. But that's gone now. I did get rid of the passive. I perception. know, but that was broken too. <laughs> so way perceives all. Just now she perceives magic. Perceives all unless she looks directly at it. Then she may not perceive it as well as anyway. Pretty much. For me, it's daylight because it's such a useless spell for somebody with dark vision, but it was very useful in the Shadow Realm. So it really did. That mm -hmm. was fun. That was a really cool moment. I I, I really love the conch the conch shell ability that you and that you kind of created, Diana. Like it's the, the well, ability we, to... to. In fairness, we created it together. So yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess, but I feel like the the. The idea was yours, you know, the, the Miranda's bequest, the conch, and the water elemental. It's why I really, really love it. And then uh, Desmond's actually got a uh, a new fifth level spell that we haven't seen yet that I'm really excited to use. So Ooh. tune in for season four, <laughs> and you might just see it, folks. I'm I'm a little rusty. I'm embarrassed to say exactly when this happened, and I don't know if it happened before I officially came in. To the to the season, but it's when I cr uh, crammed the emerald into my face. I got mm -hmm. true true sight. 
Yeah, that I, happened. When uh, was that? I that happened. It was very right, early, very early on. I know, but that happened right before we did a series of yeah, kind of practice games, but um, for uh, Matt and Rachel to kind of get a feel for their characters, we did. We played a couple sessions, like three sessions, and the culmination of the sessions actually merged two separate storylines into this big. Uh, fight, and uh, in the course of the fight, that's where Winley got her eye. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting story she should tell sometime. And none of that was recorded, I think, so... No, none of that was recorded. Mm. So, just to be clear, Silway has a permanent first-level spell in Detect Magic. Winley has a permanent sixth-level spell in True Sight. <laughs> but I'm the overpowered one. <laughs> <laughs> I just got third-level spells. <laughs> This is true, though. Actually, in a way, uh, True Sight, you can... I don't know. I, we I won't mean, go it, helped, hole, didn't it, it, it helped in a few moments of this season. When, mm-hmm. of course, me being like, can I see something different than everyone else? <laughs> and more more times than not, though, Diana was like, no. <laughs> no, but it, it did become but... a good... Like, it became a good storytelling mechanic... Mm-hmm. For the like blue motes and the l- blue sparks, the spirits that yes. were within the Death Guard armor that Winley could see them and Anka could see them. So it became a good storytelling device to basically show that these things were always sort of present. Mm-hmm. That was cool. I enjoyed that. Doesn't have anything to do with the mechanics, but from a storytelling perspective, that was handy. Oh, but it's storytelling derived from the mechanics. This is true. And you know, and, I, and I'll say kind of in a, in a general sense, I, I like mechanics abilities spells things like that that help characters distinguish themselves and give each person their own role in the party i like i you know the the idea of we have silway who needs who who has now if there's a magical effect silway can zero in on it but her magical knowledge is eh. she she's aware she's now at least convinced that magic is real uh yes this is character so ways development over the season which she now accepts that she is a magic user um and then you know you have like you say you have winley's winley's ability to like kind of keep us keep us safe from hidden stuff from stuff that might otherwise befuddle our senses i like i like those abilities i like those things that give each character sort of like here's what i bring to the table here's what make here's Tools that let you, Diana, create situations where each player can sit in the spotlight for a minute. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That's the best kind of to have everyone with different skills and different skill sets. So everyone gets their time to shine. I don't think it's ever really come up on on the mic, but um, I'm always like, well, is this is this a some is this something that's going to create overlap with somebody who's already in the party or you know, and like, well, what's how do how do we maintain that sort of uniqueness so that everybody still has their own clearly defined role, their their own opportunities to show up, and it's not just oh, well, either of these characters can do the thing, so one of them just keeps doing the thing, and that's the most important part is to doing do the, the thing. thing. Okay, let's go to another question, also from Caffeine. Now, now that Winley and Desmond have joined the party, and Trevor is safely under the tutelage of Gromok. Uh, is the average intelligence of the party now officially over 10? Yes, I think so. 
Uh, I probably was over 10 even with Trevor. Trevor played a lot dumber than he was on paper because Trevor's stats are amazing. We should have kept him around. Inexperience. So uh, now I have a question for Adam. Adam, uh, also from Caffeine Now, what sea shanties were in the music for the Kraken fight in episode five? I picked up Drunken Sailor and Mm. Silway's theme, but couldn't place anything else. So each of the characters' themes is in there, plus Drunken Sailor and a little bit of Gilligan's Island (laughs) (laughs) and just a little tiny, tiny bit of... Yo-ho, yo-ho, a sailor's life for me, because I am afraid of Disney, but wanted to stick it in. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, it's a lot, I guess. Oh, and uh, and Dave gets his own theme, too. Finnegan, uh, the guy who plays Finnegan. Um, I, I did this sort of version of uh, the intro of his show. Uh, as kind of a shanty and so that plays in the background whenever he's doing stuff and then i think i think i had one for the squid no i don't think i had one for the squid's turn i don't remember i'd need to go back that was such a long fight that i decided to try doing something that i don't usually do which is i tried to like oscillate themes as each character's turn came in and it worked pretty well i think uh, it was a lot of work, so I don't think I'm going to do it very often. I just want to take a moment to, I, and I know I say this on Discord all the time, but Adam, your music, I, I, it's so brilliant and beautiful and amazing, and I literally listen to the episodes each week. I mean, because by the time that I hand them off, and I've listened to them ugh, so many times, I, li- I, I do, I listen to just hear the music. I love the character moments you bring out with the various themes and, and the themes you write and then the uh, the reoccurring themes, the music in this past episode and the denouement episode that you used for Mists and Katz's conversation is just beautiful and haunting and otherworldly and foreboding. And thank you for all of it. Thank you. It's uh, it's always a lot of fun to, to see what moments I can bring out. Good creative outlet on top of, (laughs) you know, everything else about this podcast. Leveraging off that question, Treva asks, would you ever consider doing a musical episode since everyone seems to really love musicals? Would we? Yes, yes, a million (laughs) Mm, times yes. yes. This is what I want more than anything else in the world. Just say the word. Yeah, it's just, it's... You've heard my voice, right? My singing voice? (laughs) (laughs) I've already written the song for Roton. <laughs> guys, guys, Sprechstimme, okay? You just you can just speak it in character and in rhythm. You know what I mean? Can I though? You don't have to technically <laughs> sing. You can just kinda I've grown accustomed to a face. I mean, yeah, Rex Harrison. Yeah, man, exactly. You know? dude, like, my fair lady do the whole thing. All you gotta do is Harrison that ass. That's it. That's it. And it would be brilliant. Beyond brilliant. So this requires rhythm, though. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Which you can do. I know no, I cannot. Can. I swear to God. <laughs> it's just math. I'm willing to try yeah. and embarrass myself, but I'm just warning you ahead it's of time. Ju- yeah, What's it's just happen? music. I mean, ugh. <laughs> I'm down. This has been my dream since we started doing this: is to do a full musical episode, and we've done a few musical numbers slash 
I don't know, playing around with things over the this season, last season, and I have a couple songs written. I feel like what's holding me back is I don't have anybody to do the music, to write. And maybe, Adam, that's something you and I need to get together on and, <laughs> and work through, because that's really where I struggle. I can write words, but... I think the stuff you've written has been pretty good, though, that you sent me. Well, yeah, but most of that is me writing the words and then saying, Rachel, come up with a tune. <laughs> it's been it fun. Works. It's been great. We need to build up a buffer again, though, before we yeah, do we, it. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, that, that has to be. <laughs> we, we cannot turn that around in a week. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> going to have to be something that's its own thing. Still, the answer is yes, we will. Before this thing ends and has run its course, we will do a musical episode. And Amanda will sing. <sighs> I will sing. <laughs> or maybe you could be the person who runs on stage. It's like, stop, stop, no singing. <laughs> no more I thought I singing. Was stop it. Stop it. Oh, don't, don't get me started, Mike. I've heard you sing here. You can do it. You can have, you can have my Michigan J-Frog for... Yes. Hello, no. my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my raccoon. <laughs> you can have I love that. that. I love that. That song. would work. That works for this. It does. It really does. God, no. <laughs> no, I have missed song in my head. I just have to write it. <laughs> and I think you'll knock it out of the park, Mike. Okay. Uh, back to listener questions. This is also from Fire Guy, and who prefaced this by saying. He was going to ask it, even though every time he asks a question, I always give a one-word answer. And that answer is magic. <laughs> I promise you this time, I will not give you that answer. I actually have an answer for you. And this is his question. When fighting Starge and the Wall of Thorns catches fire, how does the party not have residual damage taken from the heat in the room? And with it being in a closed room, how does the fire stay burning with limited oxygen? And also, with the fire taking the available oxygen to continue to burn, how can the characters breathe in an oxygen-deprived environment and not succumb? Boy, Hollywood movies must really frustrate me. Always the, always the firefighter. Oh, my God. Like, uh, any, anytime, anytime there's lava on the scene where the characters are walking right up to and not bursting into flame and keeling over... I have the same issue, so... Uh, <laughs> Every time there's a warehouse fire, the characters can still see each other <laughs> in the oh warehouse. I will say this, twofold. One, there is more ventilation in that room than I, I guess you may be thinking about, because the window was shattered open. Mm. So the, And it was a very large picture window that got shattered when Endu was defenestrated. So... There is kind of a breeze. There is air moving through that. I think that a lot of the smoke, at least, would vent outside through that window. Now, the other thing about it is, and I kind of went back and sort of went through it, the entirety of the Starge fight lasts about five rounds. Each round is six seconds. The entire thing, if you think about it, lasts 30 seconds long. I get it's an entire episode, but you have to think most of the attacks and turns are happening at the same time. And it's maybe round three when Starge drops the little explodey thing and the tower shatters outwards. Oh, right. And the rain puts out 
Mm. The Wall of Thorns. So it isn't actually burning for that long. So Mist's one-minute banishment tripled the length of that fight. Pretty much. Just doing my part. Which, (laughs) side note, you know, and and the cast already knows this, that fight was already lengthened and lengthened again because they burned down Starge really fast. We are OP. All of us, apparently. (laughs) Somehow. Well, Diana, that actually gives me a little segue here. You have kind of said before how you have thrown things at us and that we seem to burn through them with way faster than you're anticipating. And uh, now that you have some statistics on uh, on our capacity to deal damage, and I don't mean because you've seen us, you saw how hard or how much, how quickly we burned through Starge's first health bar. Um, I'm talking about uh, Treva and Caffeine now actually going through the podcast episode by episode and chronicling every point of damage that the party deals, that is dealt to the party, and compiling it into this most massive, gloriously epic, deranged, and beautiful spreadsheet of uh, our ability to kick ass uh, I have ever seen. Well, it's the only one of these that exists, so of course it's the most beautiful one I've ever seen. But nonetheless, maybe that is something you can use to help gauge whether, how, how long a fight is going to take in the future. And more fearfully, we are going to experience more bigger, bigger, bigger monsters that uh, won't burn down so easy. And maybe we need to start thinking about spell economy, everyone. Maybe we need a healer. I mean, my takeaway would be to see who all the ranged attackers are and then to have uh, minions engage them in melee. That's what I'd take away. It, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting to note that already um, the, there, there's a, an interesting correlation between the number of attacks that a, character, a player character lands and the number of attacks that they receive. Like there, it's already almost like almost like you tend to have the monsters go after the people that hit them the most, which I mean makes sense. Self-preservation. If something somebody's punching me, I would want to, and I can't get away. I would go after the person who's punching me, and not the person who's just standing there in the corner, uh, playing a banjo or whatever. Yeah, I mean it is very impressive and overwhelming and just touching. If a data analysis can be touching it can a uh, piece of work and i i'm thank you so much for doing that and yes i will dig into that and i have some <laughs> thoughts about how to change things going forward it's funny that it feels like the most effective monster that you guys faced the entire season was the moss demon that, that turned us against ourselves yep well, yeah. well most, when I got mostly stabbed, you <laughs> I was fine. when i got fucking stabbed no 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 turned you against us <laughs> but that that thing seemed to be the most effective and did the most damage to the party and the sh- i mean i don't get me wrong i thought that i was going to I thought when I threw a lich at you, I would be... No. That fight would have lasted longer than a round. I loved that fight. I loved that fight. Not because it was over so fast. That that I found amusing, let's be honest. 
But what I loved about that fight is the coordination, the 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 like the butt wiggling that <laughs> that we managed to execute and compound compound our abilities on top of each other to make the fight go as fast as it did. Like that was the silent spell coupled by Rotan getting in its face so it can't retreat, coupled by other spells that forced it area den- area denial spells that that kept it from going where it wanted to go and escaping this utter suppression of its magic um hey great team effort folks i think i said it in the episode but i'll say it again i am delighted at how we came together as a team and just put a lot of payback into anlin for the crap that that he had created in season two so that was a very satisfying fight as a player. If you recall, though, before that fight, there was a distinct lack of teamwork where Silway completely fucked up every attempt at diplomacy with this guy. <laughs> also true. So what I'm seeing is the redemption. So the fact that, hey, you know what? We can turn this around. We can still make something out of this. I, I do like think about the ways the conversation could have gone if that hadn't happened. No, honey, that skull is you. <laughs> <laughs> I do say, like, in, in terms of favorite NPCs, I enjoyed playing him. I, I really did. He was also one of my childhood characters. I, I will confess the whole Starge-Anlin relationship definitely evolved in the 20 years hence. But um, I, I very much, I was very happy to play him. You played a lot of villains, Diana. As a... No, but they see, this is the thing. They weren't villains at the time. They were heroes. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm giving you. Yeah. No, but he was just, you know, follow a certain path long enough. It's one of my favorite lines of the whole season is, I was like, they're gay lovers. I thought that was obvious from two seasons ago. <laughs> You're like trying to hide it. I'm like, is this not obvious to everyone else? No, they're just good friends. Yeah, there's some there's some stuff like not that I would expect anybody to go back and re-listen to this entire thing. There's some stuff dropped in like season one and stuff like that that lays the groundwork for a lot of this stuff. That play that Silway witnessed is mm-hmm. remarkably on point. For, well, actually, it's completely misinformed, but also not like it's <laughs> it's it's a whole thing. But that's another thing that I liked playing with was the idea of this sort of presentation of history and then the reality especially with Roxiel where like she's kind of as Rothians see her the villain in reality she is not but again nobody will ever know that because you know her story is I don't know unless somebody writes a song about it or something weirdly enough I have two questions pertaining to previous seasons I'm gonna ask these quickly and then I'm gonna I want to get your thoughts on the future. Another one from Trava, the final one from Trava. Uh, will we ever see Armand again? Is he still fabulous? Did his shop suffer after the blowing up of the Brotherhood in season one? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. If anyone survived that fire, it was Armand. Yes, he is still fabulous. Will we ever see him again? Who knows? That is completely out of my hands. Um, as to what happened to his shop... I don't know. Maybe we'll find out one day. I mean, I know, but, you know, we'll see. If the party ends up back in Nightfall, that could be um, interesting. Wasn't he like a level 20 wizard, as I recall? Uh, Yeah, he kind of was. To get true polymorph, you have to be pretty close to that, or at least level 18. 
He's a level 20 wizard who just wanted to make gorgeous clothes. And people beautiful. I mean, hey, whatever drives you. Mm -hmm. This is Caffeine Now's final question. And our long-ago-promised math question. And I'm going to read it, because it's the only way I can get through this. So this is a bit of a mechanics question from a previous season that came up on a re-listen, but figured it might be worth a shot asking. For the ooze that missed fought in the sewers in Season 1, oozes do acid damage, so they're at least hypothetically under pH 7. <laughs> on that basis... Could you use the jug of alchemy to create some sort of strong base? Sodium hydroxide, potassium hydroxide, insert your favorite, drop the base quip here. To neutralize the dead ooze, or cause increased damage to the ooze to hasten its demise? Or would the addition of another caustic liquid just make the whole situation worse? More importantly, given that mist is mist, would he be able to figure that out? Yes, I'm aware that alkaline liquids should be grouped with acids to create a caustic damage category, and that's more of a comment, really. Old habits, etc. <laughs> is this the same person that asked the question about the fire earlier? No, no different no. people. Oh, okay. All this right, is all our right. fan base. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a sense of our fan base. I'm getting a Isn't sense of like how they glorious. operate. Glorious. It's amazing. I'm a huge fan. So of our fan. <laughs> I'm such a fan of our following, but I'm I am fan. really freaking dumb. A fan <laughs> of our fans. <laughs> I am dumb. <laughs> so the rules on the jug of alchemy are that it can create mayonnaise. Uh, mayonnaise, we know that two <laughs> gallons of mayonnaise per day. Good for greasing a cat. Good for greasing a cat. <laughs> We got our two gallons of mayonnaise per day. Sorry. It can also create acid, which acid is unspecified, although it does have vinegar as a separate category. So presumably it's strong acids that it can generate on demand. Uh, and although it's only eight ounces of, of acid, so yeah, that, that tracks. Anyway, a basic poison, again, unspecified uh, variety. Uh, beer, four gallons of beer. Yo, <laughs> we have been playing this game wrong. Um <laughs> A gallon of honey, quart of oil, uh, eight gallons of fresh water, twelve gallons of salt water, and a gallon of wine. So there's nothing in there that's jumping out at, at me as being immediately particularly alkaline to the point of being able to neutralize a ah a jelly unless. But you said it, basic poison. Oh, <laughs> there we go. There you it go. It is a basic poison. So. <laughs> Uh, it's the only thing on the list. <laughs> but it will only let me pr produce. It'll only let you produce produce a half ounce of basic poison. I'm going to assume that's fluid ounce as opposed to mass ounce. Um, mm, but it doesn't specify the pH. It doesn't specify the pH. Crank so that sucker could, all the way up. It could be hmm. a basic poison with the pH of 14 and sit back because that's going to be an extremely violent reaction. What would happen if you mixed basic poison with mayonnaise? With well, the, I, it can only produce one or the other. It, it produces one thing per day. Yeah, okay, but um, what if you saved a jar, you got a ball jar, and put <laughs> said mayonnaise in a jar, put it aside... And then the next day, you got in the basic poison, and then you mixed them both together. This is why we need to have downtime episodes. <laughs> what are you doing this downtime? I'm, I'm just stashing gallons of mayonnaise <laughs> in the... 
in the bag of holding for for later use. I hate that, but I also love that. <laughs> I hate it. I'm just saying, it would be a great like bonus action to throw a huge thing of mayonnaise after you like the elder blast. Like, it would definitely confuse people. Off. Listen, season four is young. Yeah, you'll take points of cholesterol damage. <laughs> Silent killer. Oh my God, will that technically be me, like metagaming about the mayonnaise? Because Winley definitely probably wouldn't fucking think about mayonnaise, but I'm gonna be thinking about it next time we record. <laughs> to actually answer the question, uh, we can't produce a uh, other than the basic poison. Which <laughs> we're gonna we can twist the definition of basic. Um, it does. There, it does not look like it produces anything particularly alkali. Adding stronger acid to uh, adding an acid to it. I mean, it's all about concentrations. At most, eight ounces of acid. So, how big is that jelly? How big is that jelly? What is the actual pH of the jelly? What is the pH of the acid? There's. It seems to me using the jug of alchemy would you could at best create a bunch of water and dilute the acid, but uh, I, I feel like at that point you're just better off killing it somehow and isn't that what i ended up doing didn't i end up flushing that thing out flushing that stuff out of the grate you did like the stuff that was left over after you killed it yeah yeah neutralizing it was not an option i think i think flushing it you know in good lab practice when you have an excess of acid you flush it with all the water uh and it goes bye-bye more or less safely i didn't really have a acid waste bottle handy for the sludge let's close this off with a look forward we're heading into season four where do you guys see your characters going what do you think the future holds for them where do you want to see your character go in season four i think silway is in a much better place at the end of the season than she was at the beginning of this season and yes in my head wherever she's going she has a bit of purpose now she's no longer bound by her family and I, I really don't know where she's going. Like I, I had in my head, I'm like, I want to see her get to a better place somehow. And I think she did that this season. I don't think she cares anymore what her mother thinks or what Soldal thinks or what they want for her and her life. So I, I feel very good about Silway's journey and, and where she's headed in the future. I don't know where she's going. I don't know what she's doing, but I think she's a happier person now that she uh, has had this journey so far. I don't know about Desmond. I think on one hand wishes that he had a bit more answers about who he was by this point and maybe that's uh, um one frustration i was actually debating in the in the denama episode bringing this up uh desmond having a conversation with someone but like i don't know maybe i think just by this point i think he wishes he had found out a little bit more about who he was but i think that that's just going to be continue to be his driving force going forward um but there's also a little bit of him, too, I think, that's starting to be like, does it matter? Does it matter who I was? Because right now, um, I'm like the, especially as he gets to know the party more, he's starting to really, I think, enjoy the, the people and enjoy being here and enjoy being. And it seems and the, the obviously what we're doing is extremely important for the fate of the world. So he's like, does it does my past matter? As long as I'm happy right now and as long as I'm doing something meaningful now, is that all that matters? 
wrestling between those two things. I think ultimately he's going to want answers because uh, he's going to have to find out where did I come from? What's going on? So I, I think that's where he's at. Adam, what are you thinking? I don't know. <laughs> awesome. He's going to spread the good word of Timora? Well, yeah, that. I mean, that's that's basically the only direction he has right now. Let, let's Let's just take a step back then because... In sort of every season up into this one, as a DM, I've been very like, okay, kind of pointing you in the right, not the right, but pointing you in a direction at season end. Or or strongly like saying, this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. I didn't do that this year. I've ended the season with, it's entirely up to you at this point. So everything seems to be wide open. As characters and as players, do you find that more freeing? Or is it in a way more scary, if you will, because you don't have those sort of guardrails that are pushing you along? I mean, I can't just sit back and react and be snarky to every little thing that comes along now as a way of lashing out at my lack of agency. And that's that's all tongue-in-cheek. Except when it wasn't. <laughs> well, except for when it... I have never felt like we were on rails. I think there's a difference between having a clear objective and being railroaded. Having a clear objective is good it keeps us focused it keeps the story happening rails is more the story has to unfold in this particular way you talk about season two feeling like it was on rails you let roton walk right up to the odal and knock on the front door and the consequences ensued to to be fair i had to work pretty hard for that <laughs> yeah but but <laughs> but it still happened. I, this rails, is would ha rails would have been nobody was home. Nobody answers the door. Hmm. No, this is true. This R is like, true. I have never in this story felt railroaded in the, in this in this three seasons that we've been doing. Felt like this is the decision that is ex this is the choice that is expected of me. Probably the moment I yanked the signet ring off of uh, what's his nuts's finger in broad daylight in the middle of the thieves guild and walked out with it cemented the fact that this was this was indeed a game where anything could could happen dice willing so i think when we're effectively hired goons at the start of season one to say okay do whatever you want to do well f like yeah what do we want to do that's that's there's a there's too much freedom at that point where we are now, yeah, we can still go and do whatever we want to do, but we have a bigger picture and we recognize that there are things ex at stake. And although we have, you know, there may be no guardrails, as you say, there still are in the sense of there's a, there is a problem that needs solving. There is, lar there are severe consequences if no one gets involved. And from where we, from what we've seen over three seasons, we're the only ones who are dumb enough to get involved. So from that standpoint, the question is not so much like, eh, Mist is going to retire and become a professional sports ball player or something like that. It's like, no, what's simply the best way forward? Because the goal isn't changing. It's just what, where are we going to go? And we know enough about the world that we can actually make those decisions now. So I don't find it like terrifying. I, I know what Mist wants to do. Oh, well, I guess I'll answer that part then. Um, where Mist before was very like, well, oh, I'll see if I can break into that castle. That could be cool. You know, like, as I said, impulsive, 
picks a thing and laser focuses on it until it's accomplished and then go finds goes to find a new thing that thing that he is laser focused on is a much bigger objective than he's probably had before um because tell a good story was hey will this make a neat story oh yeah so there i was on top of a roof nobody you know and then i dumped a ring of water around people like that's that's a good now it's he's seeing this the sort of the epic story unfolding and the things that he thought were necessary are are becoming lower 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 priority killing squid face starting to take a back seat that's been his drive since the end of season one that's starting to take a back seat now when he realizes oh i accidentally translocated a continent to another plane i should probably fix that squiddy squid face we can deal with along the way maybe um also we're down three wards and the most reasonable ancient we've encountered and i and again i understand narratively why all things happened as they did but from a character standpoint the one ancient who actually like helped us and listened to us and treated us like we were serious still got herself killed so it really is we're gonna have to fix this ourselves and and so mist is very much a cat on a mission at this point probably having the pulsing shard of tear in his pocket is assisting in that it's funny because I, I i was expecting that to come up earlier in terms of the narrative choice to kill off rock seal and because i explained at the open why i did it and what i wanted to and, and the question is did i take agency away from you as players in not allowing you to save her now i go back and forth on this because i gave you one turn which admittedly is not a lot and she was mostly dead by the time. But is there anything you could have done? Probably not. There's probably nothing you could have done there. And I did go back and forth on this because I don't want you to feel like you're railroaded. And I hoped that in the moment you didn't feel railroaded. And that I, I know you expressed that frustration of like, this is the one ancient that we you know, who listened to us and was aware. It was also, it was twofold. One, Roxiel is a powerful being in and, like, on her own. She could have gone toe-to-toe with Starge on her own and possibly maybe have beaten him. But the thing about it is she would never get a chance to go one-on-one with Starge because Starge would have called backup, which was the crux of this whole thing which is where you guys came along, which is where the joke of how are these five people going to make the difference? Well, they're going to make the difference because they can do what nobody else could do. While the entirety of Starge's forces are distracted, you guys can actually face him down and engage him on his own. So then it's a question of, okay, this is also Roxiel has this history with him. She's going to want to be there when he's dead. She's going to want to, like, she thinks she can take care of herself. And, and she's right for the most part, but she wasn't counting on Endu, who she did kind of dismiss. Or like, I can handle him. And she probably could if Endu came at her straight on. But he didn't. And honestly, with Time Stop, he could have gotten to her at any point. 
So the question is, why did he choose then? What else could he have possibly gained? Or what else could he have possibly been after? He needed off the island with a charged shard. Bingo. Oh. The thing that Mist now has in his pocket. And I get that maybe the season has a little bit of an Empire Strikes Back feel to it, or like that it wasn't a total win-win, but you guys did win. You guys did a lot. You know, you freed this island, you set this island free, you... And and whereas maybe you didn't... You couldn't save Roxiel, you did thwart Endu in some small way. Not all stories have to be 100% happy, right? Why couldn't he grab the charge while the time while time while time was stopped? Did you just say that and my brain was like bloop, or He couldn't he couldn't have taken it. He couldn't have taken it. Cause he didn't have a shard. Yeah, because you couldn't have taken it. Not while I was charged. It had such weight to it. Nobody could pick him up. Like Tingles could not get his hand close to it when he was trying to grab it. Right, so okay, so Miss basically downloaded the power into his own. Yes. Whereas Endu would have wanted to grab the one yes. that was there and had no right because that's why that's why that's why the one was being protected in the first place. Yes. Okay. Right. I'm there. Okay. So Rachel, what about you and Winley? Where do you see Winley going, and what do you see for Winley in season four? I'm interested to see how um, she again with this sort of triangle of <laughs> Gruber, uh, Winley, and Roton. I'm interested to see where that goes. Um, I think I, I'm excited to grow more as a, a player when it comes to battles and things. I mean, I'm, I feel very excited and, and, uh, for lack of a better word, more confident when you say, okay, what are you guys going to do? Or it's up to you. Like more in the role play, I, I, I find myself very comfortable there. Um, and I would just... I'd like to grow more as a as a player. Thus, that would make Winley grow, make her battle choices more interesting. She, again, she's like, this is my first time with a full character, with a full season, and I'm kind of like, kind of proud at at what I what I did and of what has come out of her mouth. And yeah, I just I hope she continues to have this like lust for life, you know. And I hope to keep surprising people. We'll see. If nothing else, we know she's found acid as a weapon. <laughs> yeah. I just need to, there needs to be, some, you need to create some sort of magical item, which is like limitless acid. I think that would be so cool <laughs> for her. acid already. Oh, yeah, but I need it. <laughs> is there a way that I could steal it from Mist? Could we make that a thing? Not in this session. Like Winley's, Winley, <laughs> Winley's journey for the for the jug that's my mother my precious so that is it for season three thank you all for listening and just being with us every week season four will be coming soon we want to build up a bit of a backlog of episodes so that uh, once we start releasing them there won't be any interruptions so look for uh, those soon and we will notify you on Twitter or Discord or just watch your your podcast feed. Thank you for all the questions. Yes, yeah, thank so you for those amazing Indeed. questions. And thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. See you next season. Bye. Bye. Bye.